podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to the Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. A lot of cricket has been happening in the last couple of weeks. Most of it is, of course, of the limited overs variety. But to help me unpack, let's say, India's disastrous tour of South Africa, and then the ongoing uh, women's ashes and the other games, I have a very cherished guest, I must say. Somebody I've been looking forward to to have on our podcast for a while, Mr. Martin Chandler. Hi, Martin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ajit. Good to meet you. I've been following you on Twitter for a while. I love the tweets, uh, the perspective you offer on cricket. Well, you are very much a cricket uh, fan who's of the older school of cricket, the test match and the long format. But you call yourself a cricket tragic. Where does that come about? I, I, th- I use that expression because I spend most of my free time doing something to do with cricket, either reading about it or writing about it or watching about it. Um, years ago, I used to play, but I really wasn't very good. So uh, I did stop playing when I was about 30. Uh, but my my love for the game has grown gradually all my life. It doesn't seem to be letting go, and I'm sure it won't now. All right. But uh, why are tragic still? You call yourself a tragic because you couldn't crack it as a cricketer or you still love an older time when cricket was played in a different spirit or with different attitudes? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite as bad as some people who, who won't... Um, some, some tragics I know who really take very little notice of what's going on in the game today. I, I do still watch cricket, but um, uh, if I'm reading about it, it tends to be not anything that happened this century, shall we say. All right, all right. I spent this afternoon, just for an example, I spent this afternoon reading a book about um, cricket in Hampshire between 1777 and 1863. Okay. That's not even the previous century. That's, uh, well, did they have a middle stump all those years? Probably not even. It was so long ago. They they must have not done to start with. It was uh, 1863 is the, the year when first class cricket is supposed to have started because wisdom started mm-hmm. but there, there were there were big matches long before then for betting purposes precisely well they had this double wicket tournament sort of a format right so it was two people and the rest of them were fielding and then two others would take their place yeah and the single wicket was big then as well i think uh, how about uh, i mean I, I was reading the other day there was no middle stump until the 1770s they just had two stumps and the bales were not two pieces, but one single piece of wood that was placed on these two stumps. Mm. And then there was this game where in the 1770s, where somebody kept bowling between the stumps. So they did not know if the batsman was out or not. It did not actually break the stumps. See, then mm. they decided we'd make it one whole, you know, three stumps and two bales or eventually two bales that would yeah. get dislodged. The stumps would be considered broken. That's when you knew the batsman was bowled. And I, I remember seeing how the cricket bats evolved, right? From something that looked like a cousin of a hockey bat, hockey stick, 
downward and then yeah they were curved weren't they to start with it, it yeah very strange things and then there was there was a time wasn't there when you didn't have to hit the wicket but you had to put get the ball in a hole mm-hmm. between the stumps and uh the batsman could take the fielder's fingers off it, it it was a strange game at one stage indeed any any notable events that you recall from this book you were reading it's it's a bit niche i i was reading it with a view to reviewing it I, i have to say that you know hampshire cricket back in those days is not a subject that fascinates me but it's what what is interesting is to see how loose things were back then and how many people who you associate with other counties actually popped up and played for hampshire once or twice uh, if you've heard of names like fuller pilch and alfred min who were nothing to do with hampshire really but they turned out once or twice and and that's quite interesting and it's always interesting to read about hambledon um nairon and you know the uh, iconic things like that because uh, i i only live about 30 miles from hambledon so it's a place i've been to yeah it's it's interesting and um you know the the author deserves to sell a few copies he's obviously put an awful lot of work into it how does one go about gathering data about the fledgling time when the cricket game was not sort of administered in a centralized way and as you say it was probably more for the purposes of betting and entertainment mm. and you know earning a bob on the side so to say there was this concept of amateur cricketers and you know butlers of minor lords and so on how does one go about even getting all these records for example you're talking about the county of hampshire right so is there a centralized place where they maintain records about how cricket was played during these days well there's all sorts of um archive resources around i mean you can get all the scorecards are on cricket archive i don't know if you've got access to that particular site and and obviously people have been writing about cricket for ever since the game started so there's a lot of um history that way and back in i think it was 1833 he says strong yes it was 1833 that there was this famous book written i don't know you've have you heard of nyron no oh, i have not yeah okay well it, it was i mean there wasn't another one for about 60 years afterwards but um john nyron wrote down the memories of his father who had played back in the 1700s uh, and had told him about it and that is why with hampshire there is actually quite a lot of material around because nyron published it all in 1833 but i mean these guys go around they they you know they look at local newspapers for the time get the names from there and then they go off to ancestry.com and they can dig these biographical details out of these people uh, yeah it's it, it's interesting to say the least i would say because one thing i would also like to understand you talk about hampshire if there's such a rich history of hampshire this is something for somebody who doesn't follow english cricket for too far back beyond 70s or mm-hmm. 60s it's very interesting for me because you always hear surrey yorkshire middlesex right these are the big counties so to say right currently yeah. for the last at least few decades in english cricket you have the occasional uh, thing you hear about somerset if you follow the season as well you see these two or three teams are near the top now there is multi tier cricket and so on i'll not get into that but 
for a county like Hampshire to have such a rich cricket history? Was it because there were people who uh, were interested in the game all the time there, or is it because probably there was a hub where you know there are hubs like Hambledon, what you mentioned? Well, that, yeah, way back when in ancient times, yeah, I mean that was the Hampshire, Sussex, Kent was where the game was mainly played. I think um, since then, Hampshire was always one of the smaller counties. Uh, they they won a championship in 1961, and they were very because John Arlott was a Hampshire man, so yeah. um, he uh, has written an awful lot about the county. And then they were very they were immensely powerful in the 1970s when they had Barry Richards and Gordon Greenwich opening the innings. Um, they've not been quite so competitive in in recent years, but. You know, there's like like all the English counties, even the weaker ones, they've got a huge following and a very loyal following. Um, and there's masses and masses of written material uh, on the players and the, and the matches and the club itself. Interesting. What do we get to know about the lives of people who played cricket? I mean, for me, any book written about a period, which is long enough ago, I, I'm always very curious on what it says about how people lived in those times. Because, I mean, up up until 1850s, even the way people lived anywhere in the world would not even be imaginable uh, anymore, right? It's in theory of human beings living on this planet or evolving and living here. Yeah. It's not a lot, but 150 years ago, life was so much different. What what comes across to you that way about how people lived in those days? <laughs> It's. I think it's difficult in the day and age in which we live to imagine what life was like when, you know, communication and news was transported, but was given by town criers and people mm. shouting in the streets, and uh, newspapers were a week behind. It's even even looking back to my childhood in the nineteen seventies, I can't believe how uh, the accessibility to news has changed. So I mean, it, it must have been a very strange life when you didn't know what the cricket scores were for days if at all yeah. um, how does that work and so the betting that happened was more or less um on the spot so to say you you were at the ground and you had a bob to spend or whatever and then there were there were bookies offering you odds you would bet with one tout or the other and then at the end of the game you collected your winnings or commiserations and you walk yeah away. i mean there, there must have been you know the game existed in those days for betting there must have been masses of corruption i mean we we, we probably really should completely disregard the records but um you know they're there their history so you know we're not going to expunge them now i mean i'm just thinking right so whenever there is entertainment and whenever there are masses of people involved there would be one form of the other of Corruption is a very heavy word, but somebody looking to influence the outcomes in one way or the other. Maybe it's just yeah. something, a part of the game or the game itself. Because I remember the first keeper who was supposed to keep for England on that tour to Australia in 1877. He was jailed. I mean, he was he didn't make the tour eventually because he was jailed for trying to bet on his own team, if I'm not wrong. And then he was caught and sentenced to prison. And he, he oh, was... You mean the guy in New Zealand? I think so. No, it was the English keeper, but... Maybe you know more. Uh, would you elucidate a little bit? I more think you know? mean Ted Pooley. Who, yes, uh, Ted Pooley. Who, who got, yeah, he he got he got in a fight because ah. uh, he 
he bet a local man in New Zealand that he could name the scores of every batsman uh, and nominate them. And of course, he, he very wisely nominated naught for everybody. So there were enough ducks to make sure he was a winner. Uh, the guy didn't want to pay up and there was a fight. And that's how Pooley got locked up. Uh, and he didn't get acquitted until after the, the team had arrived in Australia for the what we now recall as the inaugural test match. Indeed. So, so he, he was actually wronged, but he was trying to be clever. So. Of course. I mean, look, the people who accepted those bets had to immediately spot. He's going to get a very high likelihood of uh, winning. But in any case, look, what are the chances somebody would bet a lot of zeros these days, right? One in 11... Two in eleven on a good day, right? Yeah, you won't get a whole lot of. Ducks. Well, of course, we had even, you know, forty years ago, we had Dennis Lilly and Rod Marsh openly. Yeah, betting on the Headingley Test. Yeah. Eighty-one, and, right? That it was yeah. not yet so regulated that uh, players could bet. It was two of the leading players, if anything, from the Australian team in that game. They thought the result was so much beyond any chance of them losing that they ended up betting on behalf of themselves on yeah, that I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody has ever seriously suggested there was anything sinister in that. Ah. And, you know, a couple of the England players wanted to bet on it, but couldn't get to the bookies' tent, as I understand wow. it. Um, <laughs> I think Bob Taylor was was, was one of those. I mean, it was, and it was an extraordinary match. I can remember watching it on the television because wow. <laughs> it unfolded. Well, through our generation, through our eyes, you probably watch it on television. For me, I've only heard about it, but it's such an iconic game. Mm. It was before my time. But um, yeah, to come back that way, for me, the game in my generation that will always stay with me like that is the game in Col- uh, Kolkata, the VVS Lakshman game, Lakshman Dravid game. Where Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a stunning performance that was. So again, it's one of those once in a generation, once in a lifetime sort of a I remember we had an exam the next day, uh, the fifth day of the test, we had an exam. Uh, I was wrapping up my engineering studies. I remember seeing the whole day's game, the fourth day's play, waking up, watching the highlights of the fourth day's play and starting off sort of the fifth day, the exam was in the afternoon and then going to the exam. Uh, I will probably not go into what happened on the exam day, but I think I somehow (laughs) made it through, through sheer luck and or from what I remembered from the earlier in the semester, I made it through. But as you say, it was such an absorbing game that I couldn't care less about what else was happening uh, in my life. As you say, it was such a seminal moment for me in my lifetime. And of course, Pant's uh, innings in that fourth test in Australia last year, 2021, right? The way well, I mean, that, that was a remarkable series. It, it's, um, you know, that, that deserves to be right up there with 1981, to be honest. Um, I mean, I've never got up in the mornings to watch a <laughs> Australian test involving anybody other than England before, but uh, I, I couldn't couldn't keep away, could you? Well, uh, you know, before we go into the cricket, would you mind mentioning the name of that book that you're reviewing, if you like to? Because we've talked about that book. If you want to talk about the name of the book, maybe listeners of this episode can go find it. In bookshelves. Well, it, it, it's called Hampshire County. It's just called Hampshire County Cricket Club, which isn't terribly helpful. Right. Um, but I will be, as I say, I, I've been writing a review this afternoon. So if anybody is interested in that, they just need to go to Cricket Web on a couple of weeks' time. Uh, www.cricketweb.net, where I do book reviews uh, and write the odd article, uh, and they'll be able to see what I think of it. All right. 
great to know. But it, as I say, it's a bit niche. But um, if you like that sort of thing, it's very good. Look, it's cricket related, and you know exactly. It, it still it's, it still talks about how the game came to be what it is today, right? So yeah. Now, if you go back to what we were discussing, so what are your thoughts on the first? Let's have a quick chat about the men's Ashes. the one that concluded with england barely uh, squeaking uh, through a final by one ball it was a 4-0 and 9 down in one of the tests yeah it was awful <laughs> well i mean i think that england were probably the weaker team anyway mm. uh, but i don't think you can blame the players my my main beef is how ridiculous it was to have basically zero preparation mm. um I don't understand that whatsoever. I mean, thirty or forty years ago, an England would play all the states in first-class matches before the first test. I mean, I appreciate that's not going to happen now, but I mean, they really should be having one or two proper competitive matches before they start, rather than just a rain-affected game against their own second string. I mean, we didn't have a chance. I don't think. Don't know what you thought as a, as an Indian, but. Uh, well i must say as not just an india fan as a seasoned follower of cricket i think i got it grossly wrong because i know three episodes ago or four episodes ago whenever when we did a preview of the series mm-hmm. i had predicted a 2-1 victory to england where i thought well i didn't really take their lack of preparation into account at all what i was more concerned about australia sort of not being in the right place losing a captain before having a new captain and then sort of smith fading a little bit and yeah. not having them not really having a middle order right and it would eventually fall all on the polling but what really blew me away was how how bad england batsmen were i was hoping england would lose one or two games or maybe you know they start a bit badly because they didn't have enough preparation but they would recover eventually and by the time they reach sydney and melbourne they would be in the fight and probably taking it to australia and probably winning a couple of games that came up came about as a complete surprise that from the first day of the ashes onwards they were completely completely out of it they it didn't look like winning a single session let alone a single game no it was uh, i mean there, there were some very poor performances I, i mean i'm you know i think of hasib hamid who mm-hmm. who i i saw make a century at lords 5 years ago in, in a county match and i thought was going to be something really really special and i was delighted to see him coming back last summer but he he was a walking wicket wasn't he in australia never never looked like he was going to get anywhere and it, it was a terrible shame but burns didn't look much better um i mean i'm still you know i'll go on about the lack of preparation but i suspect you might tell me that um last last winter india didn't have much preparation either and then they were bowled out for what was it 36 36 yes in the first test came back i mean that that's there's something psychologically right there mm. that is wrong with england i think right and they kept losing players too through the series like uh, their captain walked away after that first test and then their bowlers kept breaking down and then i mean the joke we heard i mean it's been repeated often that india if there were to be another test would pick people of indian origin from the crowds and still win the next yeah. game because they wouldn't probably be able to put a, put up 11 right so two yeah. two people who came to be net bowlers played tests people who came about to just help the squad prepare played tests the fourth and the fifth uh, the third and the fourth it was one of those crazy series for me how that series ended would probably 
it's very difficult to replicate that it was a real real outlier for me that the results that came about and also the way to chase 350 plus on the last day of the test to win the series with pant uh, you know leading that charge and as you rightly said the attitude was there you could see everybody wanted to win they would not lie down or they would not just give up and they had some amount of measure of the bowling what what really came across to me for this england team were they never got on top of the australian bowling at all at any point in time they got through with a draw thanks to some uh, good efforts from their tail enders and i dare say if the light was good enough probably with stark and uh, cummins bowling that that test would also have been lost in the gloom oh undoubtedly yeah. right and then look complete reliance on jo root they picked different people malan came good a couple of times then johnny besto hit 100 in the fourth test right um all that was nice to see but then it was not enough because you're right the top three didn't do enough where they did there was no platform laid where jorud kept hitting 50s uh, he couldn't get through to back 100 again but i don't entirely blame him but i definitely blame jorud the skipper not jorud the batsman because the attitude of the team was lacking because the bowlers kept them in the game all the time the batsman would not even make a score that was good enough but then the bowlers did enough to keep them competitive or give them enough but then the batsman would fail again what would you do or the at some point in time the australian batting had to come good right so marnus did his bit head did very good uh, he even missed a test but i think 200s usman khwaja did enough in that fourth test right so even though their middle order struggled i think australia somehow just on the back of that good bowling that stupendous bowling towards the end green green started coming good as well with the ball right and he he will provide you that very crucial third fast bowler fourth fast bowler option whenever you are going away traveling in the yeah. subcontinent or in south africa for example or you know on faster pitches elsewhere you would just if cummins is a skipper he will always start on a pitch in india you could just include two or even three spinners and have the green be take second side when the new ball is being bowled right he bowls mm-hmm. 140 and heck is going to get if anything is going to get stronger right so they they see a lot of hope for him and i thought he played a couple of crucial knocks with the bat right ashlin uh, top order didn't do much either for example marnus hang hang in there but smith was not really there david warner started well but didn't get go anywhere they had to replace harris in the end just to keep squaza in the squad so ashlin top order didn't do much either for me so I don't know what the backroom setup has to do with this. Probably, would you see that as a difference between the approach what India had in 2021 and what England had in 2022? Well, as I say, I think it's got to be something, you know, between somebody's ears, Rock, because, you know, the England players, I don't think are bad players. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't believe that they play too much white ball cricket. I, I, I'm, you know, they're professionals. I'm sure they can... distinguish between the two formats without any trouble I, i think it must be something in the background and as i say i feel very strongly about the lack of preparation um and you do wonder if perhaps they ought to try somebody else as skipper because uh, although it hasn't affected supposedly roots batting i still think he'd bat even better if he didn't have the cares of captaincy Uh, and i've always thought i don't particularly like stuart broad but i'd love to see him given the captaincy for a while because i think he's 
he's got what it takes to motivate people mm. what about the coaching setup so i was these were the two questions i had anyway would root survive as a skipper into the english summer and would silver would survive as a coach into the english summer you've probably answered the first one i don't i don't know where silver would came from to be honest i mean you don't <laughs> you know the, the the coaching you 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 can only trust those who are in power i mean you know who've got the ability to employ them because I mean, chris silver was i think he played for england once or twice but he was basically a a county journeyman he must have something but i mean quite how a fast bowler is going to really inspire batsman i don't know but i mean we had thought we thought the batting coach isn't he i think he has good reputation as a coach on the county level county circuit he's done good job yeah. and look when it comes to fast bowlers being good coaches right jason gillespie i mean who's sort of his contemporary he's he has a lot of good reputation as a coach Uh, in the english county scene as well and at some point in time i dare say i even heard he he might have been quoted by the ecb as the next coach right yeah. so maybe silverwood might not survive the purge but if you were to talk about root if not root who else i would ask as the english skipper for you stokes oh, i mean i say i'd like i'd like to see broad have a go um uh, the the only problem with broad is i mm. think he'd burn all our reviews in no time at all <laughs> that's a bad combo brought the bowler uh, brought the bowler um, and brought the skipper but i mean stokes is the obvious candidate but you know again do you you i think you always risk spoiling uh, a special talent if you make mm. you know your talisman captain i mean botham yeah. was was a disaster as captain um, i'm not sure it's done virat kohli a lot of good in the long term I mean I'm a huge supporter of Kohli I love him as a batsman mm-hmm. and but so but how long is it since he got a test century 2 years plus Yeah uh, I, I mean, you know there was a time when you just you know I thought Kohli was better than Tendulkar as good as Bradman he, he just looked a stunning batsman Indeed. but he does seem to have lost his way a bit Before we go to Kohli something I wanted to ask you I would say Broad would not get the captaincy because he's not a definite starter in every game because they sort of are trying to you know prolong the careers of anderson and broad unless they're yeah. playing no i don't think he will mm. but but i i i think it's a shame he's he's never had the chance mm. Mm. because joe root at the end of the day is a nice guy and i'm not <laughs> sure that you know that necessarily is entirely oh, helpful no. being a captain i mean he's a bit you know there's a bit sort of shades of douglas jardine with stuart broad no i totally agree um, a nice guy will not make a good captain uh david almost burnt out i mean but that's what we hear right david is a nice guy but you need a bit of grit you need a bit of the mongrel to be the skipper right mm. you always think absolutely mongrel is a good word mm-hmm. so for example one i remember the way he dropped um who was the swing bowler hogard and what hogard had to say about him afterwards it was in new zealand so both um who was this cauliflower eared fast bowler tall fast bowler from new zealand i forget his name caddick so caddick and hogard both were sort of coming to the end of their careers and they were both sort of dropped around the same time and it was in a tour of new zealand and hogard did not have a very nice thing to say about one but at that point in time that was the right thing he had correctly judged they were just over the other side of their best and they were no longer you know you they were no longer good enough to play for the national team they would always retire as county stalwarts and so on so you need that bit of you know being very um, harsh if for example the way steven was career ended he was a storied 
cricketer but there were enough hints dropped you have to make sure you contribute to the team's winning and or saving a game mm-hmm. otherwise you will be dropped and he you know remember those innings against india on that tour where you know india star where he i think hit 100 crucial 100 on the last day saved the game for australia but then he shortly retired so we never we never forget the game is about winning it's like a board uh, on chess where you don't care how many pieces are lost at the end you have to win the yeah. game right it's not about how prolonged somebody's career is so but i think if given time broad would have matured into a very good skipper i dare say now the time has come and gone for him stokes if you don't want to give it to him would you look at somebody like malan who's new in the team has that bit of mongrel in him i see it uh the trouble is he, is is he going to keep his place for that long i don't i don't know they 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 you know our selectors although they do give people runs in the team now i mean malan they've dropped him once before right he didn't get that many runs did he i, I don't know you could be right so we'll see how it goes so some interesting questions to look forward to before the english summer now the other topic you had brought up kohli who decided to hang up his skippering boots right maybe this will give him the 100 he's been looking for right 2 plus years i hope so right but it was the time the right one for you uh, on the back of a south african series loss um well i do wonder if he I mean only he knows if he's feeling the pressure of being captain it must be a great honor to be mm-hmm. um captain of any team including India but um I mean his form has undoubtedly suffered uh, but I mean where where Kohli's concerned I, I'm a neutral so I just want to see the bloke bat um uh, and although I didn't really like it when he used to come out and score a double century every innings or seem to against England um there is something about the way that that he goes about his business that is much more attractive to look at than many other batsmen uh, and i i just hope he gets it gets it back i absolutely agree because kohli the batsman on full flow was absolutely uh, sight for any cricket any cricket fan size right in full flight that's quite something but also i think for me the time is right for him because um i dare say he would have retired as a skipper of the indian test team if there were no tour of south africa on the horizon after that world test championship final loss i dare say he had run his course it's sort of the end of a championship season and you didn't make it and he probably hoped he could get one more uh, series victory abroad for india right and that didn't materialize so i thought he was going to hang up his boots i was sort of expecting it and also what with the uh, thing that's going on in the background about yeah him being sort of air coach deposed for the lack of a better word from the one day captaincy with or without his consent and against his wishes possibly yeah. but that one so the moment he quit his um t20 captaincy which was also again at the end of a world cup right where india didn't do well so it sort of made sense so the next skipper should be given some time you should be given 10 15 games at least because the next world cup is already in 2022 right t20 and the next uh, ODI World Cup is in 2023. So but his ODI record was really really good and his test record is also extremely good for India, right? So he's the winningest skipper in test games and also the winningest abroad and so on. But unfortunately because the England series will have asterisk against it at all times, he only won one series abroad in the Sena countries. He won in West Indies, he won in Sri Lanka, right? India surprisingly had not won a series in Sri Lanka for a long time. He did that. Of course his home record we don't need to go there. He never lost a home series, home test series, right? But 
for somebody who had such a storied captaincy career won such a lot of games abroad for india as a skipper he did not have enough series wins in sena countries new zealand was a complete write off unfortunately yeah but that's what it is these days right new zealand it's nearly impossible to win but bangladesh won a test and say south africa is tough but sri lanka won a series there on the back of some unbelievable games yeah. but yeah you know that's fine so that will probably be a what if for kohli as he steps down as skipper but as you said rightly i hope he discovers that inner fight or that inner hunger back where he's just going to go out there and do his thing score more hundreds i dare say two two and a half years ago when he had already 70 hundreds you thought maybe before he retires he could hit that 100 100 mark which i thought no mm. batsman will ever accomplish 100 international hundreds yeah. mark i don't know if there's enough of wind in the sails anymore maybe he can still make 80 plus 90 plus right i dare say he's, he has probably two good years of international cricket left even one but let's see i don't want to uh, put the <laughs> cart before the horse and so on but we'll see how that goes um before we move entirely away from test matches did you follow the ongoing ashes women's test one test which is a pity but i'm not going to talk about one or more are you following the current uh, ashes women's test i i i got up and watched some of it last night for i think i haven't done that very often and uh, the, the tragedy is of course we're not going to get a result now um because it's not five days i, I i'm i'm a bit disappointed in that but uh, it was fantastic to watch heather knight showing the sort of application that um, uh, our male batsman couldn't do <laughs> <laughs> okay okay enough said i would say but also look you make a very relevant point here i thought the india versus australia women's test that india competed when the men's team were also there that would have had a result if there were five days the indian test in england in summer would have had a result if there were five days there this is probably the third consecutive high profile women's test that would really have a result if there were to be five days right so there's always some weather interference there's always as they are discussing reducing the men's test to four days would it be worth considering women's test to actually be extended to five i mean uh, probably not always you'll have a weather uh, inter- interference or probably it will be finished in 3 days but look at this test mm-hmm. right that crucial one one and a half hours of time that was lost either of the teams could have established dominance australia were 12 for 2 i'm not going to say they were tottering but maybe it could have been 40 for 5 right but on the other hand if they finished 82 for 2 or 100 for 2 they had a chance of pushing for a victory today right so that that amazing innings of heather night we have to talk about right so they were under such a lot of pressure uh, australia women had made 337 but probably a little slower than they would have liked so a 54 for catherine brunt and then when england women came out to bat being reduced to 4 for 79 5 for 118 you know if you were let's say 6 for 120 and then if you are not very careful they kept losing wickets but look at how heather knight played she was like a rock on one end you got justines from the others until sophia kilston came out and then even people like anya shop soul people who have a little bit of experience kathleen brand they couldn't do much but 168 out of 297 right we talk of bannerman we talk of many other innings like that what an mm. innings in context of this tour because if australia had won the test matches dashes was lost for england right there were not enough points left for them to come back because the test matches have six points 
right so in this case yeah. that innings of sophie eckelston and the partnership and that what a wonderful 100 168 not out and continuing to score right so she kept losing people on the other end but she kept scoring and that partnership of 100 runs between uh, eckelston and knight made sure england would not lose this game i would say then the owners immediately fell back on australia where they had to go and try to score quickly well the the, the one thing i found i really like about the women's game is it it's got a same sort of rhythm that men's test cricket had 40 or 50 years ago when i first started watching it mm. when you know you could have five days play and you'd still have a draw um and i think the the pace of women's cricket in some ways is a bit like that and it, it's ludicrous that there should only be four days at the best of times and even you know when you lose half a day um it's absurd and it, it it's a, i think it's unfair on 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 the girls as well because you know they they produce a terrific game both both sides could win it as you say if there was an extra if there were now two days left um and you know we were talking about um coaching what we perhaps have the night should coach england's men to bat because she absolutely there for hours and hours and didn't look like getting out and you know even joe root god bless him um he's always taking a bit of a chance and that's the way he <laughs> plays just like jeff boycott yeah yeah that old school where look i'm set you'll not get me out today stuff i've seen chetashwar yeah. pujara look like that kohli look like that and i dare say yeah. steven smith look like that where you know jorut you know absolutely i think in that tour of sri lanka before they went to india last year i think jorut looked like that in a couple of innings where this is it bed and breakfast as mr boycott always says mm. so anyway that that's unfortunate that the test might not produce a result but enough time right they play 98 tours in the day enough time who knows right uh, it's the last day we are heading into the last day we hope there is some exciting cricket for us and maybe even a result so that's one thing now if you were to you know quickly look at what happened with the one day series india lost to south africa 3-0 that was completely unexpected because indian one day team is sort of based on strong processes rather than who's there in that 11 so it's the a known set of players 15 to 18 people and the processes are all very strong so people keep getting replaced but the results are continuously there because in this tour so the first time since 2015 india are going away from an away tour with no series victory in any format so the last one was in bangladesh in 2015 where they drew the tests and lost the odis again it was it was only odis and tests here and they lost the tests and the odis 3-0 so for me um i dare say a couple of takeaways one the middle order really does not have the wherewithal to win a game by itself so that hole that was created by a certain mahendra singh dhoni's retirement is still felt mm. abroad at least in india they make up for it on pitches that are sort of helpful to batting but away they really really struggle because for example people like uh, shreyas ayer rishabh pant um, and even venkatesh ayer was there then jayanti yadav was there Shri- ashwin was there look in the first one day shardul thakur made a 50 Uh, in the second one uh, somebody batting at number 8 is what i mean right shardul thakur and then deepak chahar they made 50s and took india close but that was not enough right somebody in the middle order had to do play stay there score that nagati 30 40 then you have a chance of finishing the game that was not to be seen the other thing i noticed was something that we've noticed in ipl 
he comes from my part of the world but i have to say it i don't think kl rahul has it in him at this point in time in his career to be a f- all format india captain we we did not see that that spark was not there in his captaincy on the field in all three games what are your thoughts on this well in terms of where india are going mm-hmm. i mean i don't personally i don't really understand why india aren't you know beating everybody all the time because they've got such a stunning bowling lineup um and they've got half dozen good batsmen as well top class batsmen they never seem to all fire at the same time right right and you know they, they just i don't think india need anything other than to recapture the spirit that took them to win those two tests in australia absolutely that's one um, thing the other thing look one day is sort of played in a different cadence right so in a 50 over game you had at least in the first game you saw kohli and shikhar dhawan the two experienced pros at the top of the order set it up unfortunately neither of them could mm-hmm. carry on to bat through but then the onus falls on your experienced players because look with the lot of ipl that these guys play ipl i say is pretty high level cricket so they have a lot of experience playing international bowling at all times for them to not carry on right and then the bowling also sort of came a cropper i must say right they kept changing they kept uh, changing and chopping for example shami is not there instead they had deepak chahar then they had shardul thakur then they tried prasid krishna in the last odi so they were probably trying different things so the lack of jadeja again hurts a lot jadeja is such an important important part of the limited over yeah. setup for india even tests right so his presence was missed here probably if jadeja was there probably he would have uh, pulled one game across so it's very interesting so some things to look forward to for the indian team when they head into the home season and they are going to host west indies there is this uh, ongoing uh, t20 series between west indies and uh, england uh, did you get a chance to catch up with any of them maybe even uh, somewhere online rather than watching it at live well I, i watched that remarkable game on wednesday when uh, the west indies nearly pulled it back <laughs> and that was uh... good god yes i mean at requiring some 50 odd in like 14 balls you're like okay you know what let's do something else with our time almost yeah. to keep hitting sixes and it was two people right and both of them you wouldn't expect these were the two people who would be doing it you have a pollard in that team right and you mm-hmm. have a hope in that team you have a lot of very big or well known west indian hitters in that team but to expect romario shepherd who sort of still a tyro as far as that team is concerned and then akil hussain mm-hmm. who's a spinner the way they both came back and they kept hitting and rather if the umpire was a bit kinder earlier in that last over and given a wide maybe it would have been a super over or maybe it would have been even a victory for west indies right he kept hitting sixes at the end so against this west indian team i dare say whoever comes out odin smith fabian allen akil hussain all of these romario shepard all of these are talenters but you wouldn't write them off probably only sheldon cottrell uh, you would feel a bit safe probably he's not going to hit for hit for four sixes in five balls yeah. right but england were good it must be said again if you want somebody with that steel that mongrel mr morgan i know he was sort of a less than successful test cricketer but england have done this in another generation where they just brought in somebody like mike brearley because he knew how to manage players I mean, if you look at his record, an average of twenty-three is nothing. Well, it's, it's an interesting idea, actually. I mean, I think they could do worse than uh, make Morgan the Test captain. Right? But he's a bit old now. Mm-hmm. He's, uh... No, it's just for a couple of series. 
to introduce that culture yeah. of mongrel to no it's not, it's not a bad idea at all he's a better batsman than brearley definitely right. he probably still averages more than him so yeah that could be another thought process but i think his captaincy is the one that kept making the difference look at what happened in the third odi because uh, moin ali is the captain nothing against him as a captain but they 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 lost i mean it was a it was a high scoring t20a and uh, that wonderful 100 by roman powell just the third mm. west indian to make a 100 in t20as wonderful wonderful innings there and i dare say england did really well phil salt on debut hit a 50 because you would think uh, england would lose by 50 odd runs but they lost only less than 20 runs so that was wonderful uh, wonderful effort from england but you know another uh, t20a coming up later today so we really hope you know they it's going to be a lot of fireworks it's a five uh, t20a series so the series is not finished both teams have a chance of still winning it so uh, some interesting games today already so uh, something to look forward to now yeah we we've got some test matches coming up against the west indies as well haven't indeed, we so indeed. Uh, and west indies i would not write them off at home they are a very tough team with people like shanel gabriel coming back the test match keeper brathwit they are like solid solid test match cricketers i love both of them and what they bring to that team west indian 11 you have holder you have a lot of depth in that team and kemar roach right so let's see how that goes that's some wonderful uh, cricket to look forward to now there were two other odi series that happened one is the sri lanka zimbabwe odi series if anything the way zimbabwe competed was wonderful and they took one game off sri lanka even sri lanka are also sort of a team in transition but zimbabwe have always been a team in transition for the last 4 to 5 years in the last odi they eventually that uh, lack of experience shown through and they lost it very badly in the other series the afghanistan versus netherlands well that was a bit of a a bit of a disaster for the dutch team three games sort of the same same formula afghanistan win the toss and bat first they increasingly put up 10 runs more or 15 runs more so something like 225 then 238 and then 252 something like this and then the exact same the top order puts up a platform so something like 80 for 180 for 2 the keeper who's also the opener edwards for Eng- uh, netherlands is batting very well so he was the man of the series but outside of him netherlands had only three scores of 20 plus in a three odi series and then one of them was made by the skipper sailor who sort of a, a spinner who reinvented himself as a middle order blocker right that there, there was no middle order for the netherlands to speak of and nobody played spin you know on the best of days playing uh, somebody like rashid khan and mujibur rahman and they have more wrist spinners in that team it's very tough right but their fast bowling was really good as well fazle ul haq there's a guy so they are always good but they were in these games they showed how far afghanistan have come about as a team who are less than 2 years ago still talked about as a you know associate nation how far ahead they have come up mm-hmm. um, away it was a, there was never in doubt so the moment netherlands fell behind the asking rate you knew this is it and if you think about modern day cricket scores like 228 235 252 is not something that will bother many top tier teams but i would tell you around the 30th over i always knew the result which way it was going to go that's it netherlands are not going to be able to chase this and they fell comfortably short in each case so and on top of this in the last odi uh, one of the dutch bowlers right vivian kingma i've seen him live in action he was penalized for uh, ball tampering afghanistan were awarded five runs penalty runs 
when the ball had to be changed. That was terrible. That was terrible to see in the modern day game. All in all, a lot to work on for the Dutch cricket because I can tell you there's a lot of tumult happening off the field. The current KNCB board has stood down. There's going to be a working committee probably that's going to be constituted and that will choose the working board. So a lot of things going on behind the scenes. So all in all, not good time if you are a Dutch cricket fan, but we really hope uh, both on and off the field, the cricket sort of set itself right and slowly the cricket picks itself up in terms of results. The sad story of Brendan Taylor. It's just come out over the last 48 to 72 hours what he's been going through. He retired as an international cricketer sometime last autumn, 2021 autumn. But apparently he's in the grip of a terrible habit to a class A drug that's terrible to read. And he fell into the trap of some match fixers in 2019 where they used this habit of his and they filmed him, yeah, indulging in something and then used it to blackmail him. And then they paid him some money. He says he didn't fix any matches or anything, but ICC have now banned him for three and a half years. Any thoughts? Well, I think I'm a bit... uh... It's probably because in uh, my day job, I'm a lawyer uh, and uh, I used Mm. to do criminal defence work. I always have a great deal of sympathy with these guys. I was always uh, shouted down for the way I... uh, Mm. I didn't like what happened to Mohammed Amir. I didn't like what happened really to Mohammed Asif either, even though he was a bit of an idiot in his own ways. And I got a great deal of sympathy for these guys. And Brendan Taylor... Uh, having stuck by Zimbabwe for as long as he did through all the crap that's been thrown at him because of the management over there. Mm. Um, I feel for the guy, to be honest, uh, and I'm not going to throw any brickbats in his direction. Mm. So you come from the Rumpel School of uh, Lyring. Yeah, and he was, uh, you know, he for so long he was the only decent player they had. Right, right. Um, well, him and uh, it was the, the can't remember his name now. The it's fast trick. bowler who came to Lancashire, Jarvis, is it? Kyle Jarvis. Yeah, Kyle Jarvis. That's right. It's unfortunate that in this this day and age, a cricketer, an elite cricketer, is actually in the grips of a a habit to a class A drug, and it's very unfortunate to read that because the game is so much sanitized. You know, it takes me back to our discussion in the earlier part of the episode where lives were diff- led differently and people had habits that they were sort of taking care of even while they played elite sport. In this day and age, it's very difficult to imagine that. Yeah, I I just, you know, I I think the guy needs to be helped rather than punished, but we'll we'll see whether he becomes an outcast or not, I suppose. I, I don't know what ICC is doing to help him or the Zimbabwe Cricket Board is doing to help him. What we know is the day after all of these things came out, he wrote it on Twitter himself. And then he said he's checking into a, you know, a rehabilitation clinic, and he did that next day. So I don't know if the powers that be in Zimbabwe and uh, the rest of the world bodies, maybe if I don't know if they're doing anything to help him. And uh, look, you've banned him for three and a half years. I rather doubt it. They don't, um, they, they seem to be a strange place. I, I don't know if, uh, if, if much has changed, but Alan Butcher wrote a very good book about his time as Zimbabwean coach. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, and uh, I've read books by Henry Alonga as well. Uh, and, you know, it, you just feel for these guys that had to play under that, wrote those programs. Would you like to talk a little bit more about it? Because I would like to hear, if you would take a couple of minutes to just elucidate on what those things, 
what those books said how cricket is played in zimbabwe i must say i don't know enough well you know it's just you know the the guys just didn't get paid properly i mean as much as anything else and there, there was certainly you know back in a longer day there was the political situation when they made their black armband mm-hmm. protest uh, he had to leave the country um and you know our guys i'm sure you you know yours either they don't have that sort of pressure they can comment on anything they like and they're not going to have people from the government frog marching them into offices and threatening them with guns i think that's what happened to taibu there's a passage in his book about that and you know how can you give your best as a cricketer when you're getting that sort of thing to put up with first of all i don't know how political dissent will be handled in certain south asian countries i must be blunt about it nonetheless you cannot expect the cricketers coming from certain cricketing countries to even talk about politics they are so much involved in the cricketing world and they would stay out of it simply because they want to keep their career safe but also mm. for people who are cricketers who also see themselves as i would not use the word icon but representatives of such society right if somebody like andy flar and olanga were so compelled to talk about it at the at the cost of not caring that they would even go back to their own homeland that's a terrible terrible thing right we knew andy flar had yeah. a english yeah. wife and olanga had probably set up some sort of bridges which he would use when the time came but nonetheless as a citizen belonging to a country somewhere you are not allowed to talk about how the system is run that's one way but also talking about a political situations never nice but then if you took it upon yourself i cannot imagine how bad it is how bad conditions are for example history i remember had to quit a tour midway to go back to his home because he was worried about his family's well-being mm. because there were some protests happening and there was uh, something about farmlands being taken up by other people and so on and he had a farmland and he had a farming uh, sort of a background so he had to run back home to save his family it was not about the farmland anymore just about his wife and kids almost right yeah yeah it's extraordinary when you read about those things it does come back come back as something very tough but to come back to this guy i don't know if all those pain points sort of fueled his pain and then he had to go seek refuge in something like this uh, but then for him to have hidden this habit and look if you failed your uh, tests on the last day or the last couple of days of international cricket and you continued playing i don't know how the system is he was not withdrawn he said on the last international game he failed a drugs test but he still played we all know he did so that's another thing to talk mm-hmm. about but all in all as you say i would really really feel sorry for this guy but i hope he gets the right help moving forward uh, and we really hope you know many of these things would never be spoken about but some of the cricketing cultures out there and what is seen for example we occasionally see government interference in certain south asian cricket boards which won't happen mm. and then as you say there is a tight grip you won't notice how tight a grip the government has on certain cricketing boards uh itineraries and other things so i'll not go too deep yeah. into it but all in all <laughs> i would say it's better if cricket as a sport stays out of politics entirely that's what icc wants but then i don't know if they're doing enough to uh, make that happen but as i said it's a long topic now going on well the bbl finals happened the 11th edition of bbl just concluded this week and then uh, the scorches were way too strong as far as uh, the finals game went and they were first of all in trouble themselves 
so you know they had themselves collapsed to 4 for 25 at the end of um, power play overs and from there to bounce back the way they did a lot of lot of credit to the mental acumen and the mental fortitude the captain ashton turner made 54 but lori evans a british uh, journeyman t20 cricketer these days right he he made 76 not out in the final and then they made 171 which was well and beyond what sydney sixers could have imagined to chase after that uh, first power play right and then but they were 92 all out sydney sixers and to say sydney sixers were actually chasing a hat trick of titles and they are sort of in a very strong position themselves as a team and the way they came back to make the finals you thought look they are going to complete a historic or a very storied uh, victory to take a hat trick of titles it was not going to happen scorchers were the form team it was like i dare say i am a cricket tragic myself because i follow royal challengers bangalore so i dare say it's like royal challengers bangalore in ipl who start very strong continuing to remain strong and taking the title at the end of the tournament that's what scorchers did here right so congratulations to perth scorchers on a wonderful victory and then well the icc awards for 2021 have been announced and shahin shah afridi has been declared the men's cricketer of the year and mandana smriti mandana india's uh, women cricketer has been declared as a women's cricketer of the year what do you say about this oh, like freddy he's he's a good player um whether he's quite that good or not i'm not sure what the criteria is for their selection but the pakistan team i think most england supporters always like to see just because you never know quite what you're going to get um uh, and you get like guys like him who seem to come from nowhere and are terrific players uh although i suppose in, in india are the same in some ways we had that with bumrah and um uh, and your guy shami who i think uh, deserves a hell of a lot more uh, accolades than he, he seems to get around the world but right, right. but yeah shaheen afridi good 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 player that was that was a good pick i would say so look when i look at the numbers he's taken 76 wickets sorry um 78 wickets in 36 internationals at a very very healthy average right and then this is across all three formats right and then so for me i dare say he was a standout player for them in the world cup for example and also on tours so i would say he deserves this award richly his his uh, teammate mohammad rizwan did wonderfully well and completely deserves the t20 player of the year i thought he might even be declared the player of the year but i think still performances in all formats count and therefore shahin shafri the sort of won that and then joe root the way he played right he deserved to be declared the test player and then when he when the choice of smriti mandana ahead of a couple of other players like tammy bomond for example in the women's game right and then rachel priest probably from new zealand they did strongly and also england's uh, skipper right heather knight these were all in the running for me for the best women's player that came as a little bit of a surprise for me that uh, smriti mandana was declared but then again when you look at the numbers it sort of follows up that way right and she's the second indian player be- behind julan goswami to win this so big 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 win for her right look elisa perry we've been talking about her as probably she was declared the player of the decade uh, last year but then she's had a very fallow year this year right and these other women's cricketer that we talk about right they've done plenty plenty well also lizelly from south africa wonderful wonderful uh, 
year actually 2021 so well deserved for both these players and all the other winners at the icc yearly awards so we wish them all congratulations a couple of small things sort of tidbits netherlands ben cooper whose brother tom cooper also played for netherlands he is retired from internationals at the age of 29 he played for netherlands for about 8 years so we wish him all the best with his future cricketing endeavors and in an ipl update lucknow the team that is now coming to being for the first time in 2022 have called themselves super giants again so the same business group that had won the bid previously and uh, had a team in pune in another indian city it is called rising pune super giant now this new team is because the same business group they are calling themselves lucknow super giants it's been announced and the other person we already spoke about mr kl rahul has been chosen as the captain of that team it's going to be the big uh, ipl again it's going to be 10 teams rather than eight so something to look forward to and a lot to discuss in the upcoming episodes well before we let you go martin would you like to plug your cricketing website I, i've read a couple of articles on it and it's very good so can you tell me a bit more about this website how it came about and what sort of audience are you looking for oh well i mean it started um it's, it's over 20 years old now uh, it started in new zealand it's uh, owned run and set up by a guy called james nixon who's now in uh, sydney um i joined about Oh, I don't know. Eight years after it started, I think, um, mainly because it, it it has a very good um, forum, right. which uh, people t- tend to go on forums anymore. I don't think, but they've still got a very active one there. Um, what I do for the site is I I review books. I, I write features, generally biographical ones about. players from the past matches from the past and uh you know it's a large part of my leisure activity and uh, because of twitter and uh things like that it's got a lot more traction i've got to meet a lot of nice people through doing it and um i think you know we got quite a few people who now read what we write and and that's uh, that's obviously very rewarding but if you want to know anything about cricket books that's the place to go indeed so i was only going to tell you i saw i saw your article on moments of glory a review of the book moments of glory wonderful wonderful article well thank you <laughs> i recommend it to all our listeners so the site is cricketweb.net so this is the place it's sort of old school yeah. website it's not uh, it's not very much you know uh, like one of these other cricketing sites where you have all of these matches being covered and all of this it's sort of a different ethos it comes from a slightly older time but as martin rightly said there's still a very strong forum associated with it if you want to discuss cricket wonderful site thanks a lot for being a guest on armchair cricket podcast it was a wonderful chat martin so we hope to have you again well thank thanks for thanks for inviting me have a nice evening all i'll right. let you go and i wish all our listeners a good day wherever they are listening from bye bye okay cheers ajit bye this is the armchair cricket podcast <laughs>